Today's episode is brought to you by Liquid Death. You'll be surprised, it's water. Today's episode is brought to you by Magic Mind. Procrastination is a thing of the past with this beautiful sipper. Go to magicmind.co and use code THEOMAGIC for 20% off. Flow State now comes in a bottle. Today's guest is, uh, well, he's a, he's a soundtrack of a lot of, a lot of lives, many lives, and he's, um, I mean, just a real archipelago of talent. Um, you know, I really, my God, I just, well, you'll hear all about it. I'm honored to, uh, to be able to be in his presence today and to, uh, to, uh, have a conversation with the, um, musical superhero, Mr. Travis Tritt. And how's that been like having kids? Like, is was it was it hard to go from like being a kid? Because I feel like with fame and popularity, there's this, you know. And I can't imagine your position. In my position, I notice a little bit. There's more opportunity to stay a kid. Yeah, right. Things are just you know life. There's more fun going on. You're part of the fun. You're bringing the fun. Was it hard to go from that to like wanting to be like a parent and getting into that vibe? Like, was that was that ever a thing? It, it you know it was a process it um i got married right out of high school and did what everybody else did you either did one of two things you either went to college which that wasn't an option for me damn no judgment bro you know, uh, you know <laughs> college is hard you know? <laughs> exactly or you got married and went to work so i got married to my high school sweetheart and Went to work for heating and air conditioning wholesale company down in Georgia. So was that HVAC? Were you getting in the attics or were you just selling the equipment? No, I was selling the equipment. Okay. But cool. I was also going to school like uh, two or three times a year to find out all of the, you know, updated products and kind of be a troubleshooter, you know, for, for all the products. So I did that and I started out on the docks loading trucks and worked my way up to manager of the store for in about... 18 months dang and were you a hard worker uh, yeah i mean well that's right around that same time is when i started wanting to play music as well and so that marriage lasted for about two and a half years and as soon as that marriage was over um i started playing clubs at night and then six days a week monday through saturday and then i would play i would go and get get up the next morning and go and do my gig so it that nearly killed me even though i was very young right it nearly killed me just those hours that, that yeah. rep and do you think if you had stayed married in that first marriage would you think you think you would have had the same career was there inspiration that came out of getting a separation at that young age was it were you just too young to even be able to put any of that any of those feelings into music did any I wouldn't even have thought about it probably at that particular time. Thought about music? Yeah, as, as a full-time gig. Right. I mean, I played occasionally with, you know, I had a little band that I played with, you know, every now and then, but not very often. And uh, I was kind of, 
my wife at the time, she kind of discouraged me from doing that too because, you know, when you're new, young couple, yeah, you, know, you don't want your husband out, you know, traveling around all over the oh, place, man. Yeah, you know? and it's not even look play doing a live performance. It's not a real job to people until you start to really make it. I feel like that's right. I mean, until right. then, you're just a really you're just somebody who's trying to break up marriages around the area. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> Like people are like, this shit is a little strange. <laughs> it's know? a good analogy. It really is. So, but that whole thing just uh, it just worked out, and I I did I did the day job and the night job for oh I don't know several eight months maybe, and I started realizing that I was having more fun at my night job than I was at my day job, and oddly enough, I was making more money at my night job than oh, I was dang. at my day job. So I. Went back to my my uh, vice president and said, "Look, you know, I, if I don't take this shot now, I'll never know. I'll end up being an old man one day, and I'll never know mm. whether or not I could have made it in the in the music industry." So I I quit that job and and never looked back. Was there a person that kind of like chatted with you and influenced you? My best friend Scott's dad actually he introduced me to Jerry Clower, who I was telling you about, who's one of yeah. my favorite comedians, yeah. and um. And just a storyteller, you yeah. know. I just miss so often now. We everything's glanced over the art of storytelling, and it's all just like a almost like everything's an equation of what sells, you know. And um, and Jerry Clower just did it. He just put me in a comfortable place. But my friend, my best friend, when I was young, his his dad uh, was from Mississippi, and he introduced me to Jerry Clower. And then he said to me one day. I said, you know, I think about doing stand-up comedy, and he goes, well, you have to go do it. You know, you have to go and, and take that chance because otherwise it's your life will be there. You can always come Absolutely. back, you know. Was Absolutely. there anybody like that in, in, that kind of – or was it just you playing that kind of influenced you to keep moving? The uh, vice president of the heating and air conditioning wholesale company that I told you about, mm -hmm. he also was a really good guitar player, and he had had – of course, it was a kind of a family business – and his uh, his whole family, his dad had been president of the company, and they had groomed him to basically do that. But when he was very young, I think he had an offer from Carlos Santana to go out on the road wow. and play guitar with Carlos Santana. That's huge. He's wonderful. And he passed it up. Oh. And so when I went to him and told him about what my dreams were, he's like, man, do it. Because he said, I will be that guy in my rocking chair at however however old 80 years old wondering man i wonder if i could have if i could have made it in the music industry man. and he gave me he also gave me a kind of a safety net because he said look man if it doesn't work your job here is always safe mm. so i knew something i had something to fall back on yeah but it worked out great man i mean it was just a it seemed like you're doing it seemed like you, it's paid off for you yeah <laughs> you know from an outsider's perspective um do you uh do you miss sometimes like um like i've gotten to some light levels of, of success in in mm -hmm. my work in the past few years and and it's been a long series of work but it's kind of weird i felt like when i got to a certain level of like uh like mild popularity or comfort like I, that every all my problems would go away right or other things would disappear but really you're just still right there oh it's it's it those things never change you know and the the more success that you do have first of all the busier you are 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember the first two years when I started releasing records in, in 1989, the first two years I was home each year, a total of 14 days each year. Oh my God. And no two days were ever together, Theo. They, they, they were all, it was just like one day here because you're either, you're either writing or recording or you're out on the road performing concerts or you're doing videos or doing press or doing whatever yeah and it's every single day when it takes off like that um it just it's every single day and i don't have the luxury of being travis tritt um 40 hours a week right you know (laughs) wouldn't it be nice (laughs) wouldn't it be nice you could lock out at a certain hour (laughs) Would be, man. You're like, all right, I'm just Donnie Tritt now. You know what I'm saying? I'll be like, yeah. Joe Schmo. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? It to would clock be great. Out of it? It'd be great. But on the other side of that coin, I found that for me, the old saying about find something that you love to do and find a way to make a living with it, mm-hmm. and you'll never work a day in your life. Mm. And that's really true for me. I mean, you know, yeah, there's, there's, it's not all glitz and a lot of people out there think it's celebrity all the time and they think it's glitz and glamour and all this stuff, but that's, that's not it at all. As a matter of fact, when I come home, a lot of people that, um, that I correspond with through social media or whatever, they think that the only people that I hang out with are celebrities right right are people in that and that's the furthest thing in the world from the truth in my case Mm. i go back home when i get off the road i go back home and hang out with people that i've known for some of them i've known since high school that's cool and like 30 years you know and they're all every single one of them you know these are not they're not even involved in the entertainment industry i mean they're most of them are blue collar hard-working people that go out and work with their hands and uh they keep me grounded mm. they keep me grounded if i if i came back home and started acting anything other than th- the travis that they know mm-hmm. and have known for all these years man they wouldn't hesitate one second you to, can ask what maybe oh man Let's put me right it. back in my place Dang. exactly exactly was there a time like because yeah it's a rock when things get busy especially in you guys's world like it is it's such a rocket ship i mean i did about a year and a half of touring and it was so intense like around the world and it was just intense i was just like there were countries i don't even remember being in right really and right. this happened a year and a half you know it's just like yeah it's almost bizarre kind of just the the pace that you go at and um was there a time when you had to kind of check your ego at all because the ego is a dangerous thing it's not even something we control you know that ego it can start to because you see a reflection of yourself so often in posters and in people's smiles are so excited to see like yeah. little things like that it can creep into your soul and build yeah. you up did you ever struggle with it uh i don't know that i ne- necessarily struggle with ego but obviously when you're just trying to get started and especially back in those days it's everybody's in competition with each other mm. and there, there weren't uh as far as all of the people that were the newcomers they they didn't hang out a lot you know together Mm. with each other i mean everybody's kind of and they're very secretive they're keeping their stuff to themselves because they don't want to rush almost or something exactly they don't want anybody else to know exactly what it is that they're doing 
for their recipe for success. Wow. And so it, it gets competitive, and I've always been a competitive guy. Yeah. You know, I like to compete, and I like to win. Yeah. Um, so there, there comes a point in time where you have to um, realize that, hey, a little friendly competition, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you have to remember that, uh, you know, nobody was more surprised to have the career success than I was. Mm. I remember in the early days, man, you know, you dream about it. You dream about wanting to have that. but And then it becomes a reality. I mean, it's... when it becomes a reality, I remember being on stage, man, and I'm, you know, you'd be in these big, huge arenas that seated, you know, 25,000 people and it's sold out. And they're there to see you. And I'm looking at the band and looking at the guys and it's going, can you believe this shit is happening? It, it, this is this is unbelievable to me. Tell me I was dreaming, baby. It's you know? unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's something. Sometimes there's some surprising moments. You can never really live in the fame or in the popularity. It's no. almost like it's something that's bigger than you. It's almost, Exactly. It's like um, you can't really wear it that much. It doesn't no. feel like. I mean, I guess you could if you really wanted to. That would almost seem bizarre. But um, it's almost something that even though you're sitting in it, you marvel at it. Almost like you're in a pond, but you have waders on or yeah, something. Yeah, for sure. Like it's not seeping into you, but you're right there in it. I think it's, uh, for me, I am no more the extrovert that I am on stage. Uh in real life than you could ever imagine. Mm. I mean, I'm just, I've, I've always been, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I kind of keep things on the down low, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, and any partying I did back in those days, I did pretty much with a very small group. Yeah. Uh, and it was hidden from the public. Yeah. You know? Of course, that was before cell phones and all that oh, other stuff. Geez, cameras. Everybody had cameras everywhere. That that didn't happen back then. But um, for me, it was about just, um, I don't know, maintaining uh, the love for the for the music, mm -hmm. but being able to, you know, when the when the when the show is over, it's almost like you put on. That's going to sound bad to say, but to, it's almost like you put on this this suit mm -hmm. that is Travis Tritt right. on stage. Of course. And then as soon as you come off stage, that suit comes off and the, the real me, the real my real personality comes back right. through. Well, I think it's almost a necessity because you also want to be a showman at that point. Like, sure. There's a level of... It's not really expectation, but you want to give people their money worth. You want to put on Absolutely. your best self at those, you know, especially at that moment where they came to see you and you came to see them. It's like watching a college football game, you know? If you watch the team right before they run on the field, what are they doing? They're jumping up and down. They're yeah. banging each other in the head with their helmets, and they're firing each other up to go out there on this field. Man, there is nobody on yeah. this planet that's going to do better at what we're about to do on this field today than us. Damn. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I have always had to do in order to be able to get up enough nerve to go out on stage. Mm. And backstage, I would tell myself, I started doing this as a ritual, and I still do it to this day. If I'm backstage mm -hmm. and the lights are going down and they're getting ready to 
you know, fire off the band and I'm getting ready to run out there. I am backstage jumping up and down and firing myself. And I'm telling myself in my head, there's no other time that I think this way. But at that particular moment, I'm thinking to myself, there is nobody on this earth, living or dead, that is going to be able to do a better job of entertaining these people than what I'm about to do right now. Damn. And I fire myself up. Yeah. Of course, as soon as I come off stage, I realize there's a whole hell of a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that are a whole lot better at this than I am. <laughs> but in order to get... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well, look it's a lot you're going it's out it. there and the lights are there you have to meet the the environment it's like you can't show up to your wedding day like in a uh, in, in in beach clothes you know no. like you got to you have to meet the moment that's exactly right um did your son go to school here no um i live in in georgia mm-hmm. still and uh, my oldest daughter and my son my oldest son are both striving to be artists mm. in the business and they're working real hard at it my youngest son is my middle son excuse me my oldest one he is uh, his music is very different than mine my daughter's she's kind of a throwback to a kind of a linda ronstadt kind mm-hmm. of era yeah and she's wanting to bring that kind of back but more in a direct country um style mm-hmm. and my middle son he's more He's more Southern rock, Blackberry Smoke. Yeah. Kind of in Bishop Gunn, you heard of yeah. that? Oh, yeah, yeah man. Uh, you know, so, uh, but they're both very talented and, you know, it kind of makes you feel good when your kids come along and does it want to be a part of the family business you know i like that yeah it's kind of cool is it hard to be supportive since you had such success because success is a unique thing it's like there's people that deserve it that don't get it and there's you know it's a real wheel of fortune out there but is it tough to be a parent of uh of artists like you know, knowing that you've had success, not knowing exactly what their future will be. Um, Is it hard to like balance how you, um, how you kind of parent that and support it? Or is it easy? I'm just, it's scary. I mean, because you've seen, I've seen so many people in this industry that the industry has literally chewed them up and spit them out. Yeah. And um, it's your chances. Once again, your chances of being successful in this industry or, or being successful in sports or whatever are it's minute. They're minuscule to reach that success level. So um, it's it's always a thing. But I, I have to tell them, because I raised my kids, all three of them, from the time they were born, to believe that the only limitations that you have on yourself are the ones that you put on yourself. Mm. Uh, you can do anything you can accomplish anything but the biggest part of 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 being successful i think is just showing up every day Mm -hmm. and constantly try to work to move yourself forward constantly try to do something constantly try to learn something constantly try to make yourself better yeah um so that you and i think when you do that you appreciate it more when it does happen Mm. Was there moments where you had to trust your instincts over what other people were telling you or anything like that? Oh, was there man. moments where you kind of like just had to follow like an inner voice or inner vibe uh, where maybe the market or the, 
you know, there's a lot of technicians that are also in every business, you yes, know. Yes, sir. Was there, was there times like that along your path? I started out, uh, I came out with that first single, which was Country Club in 1989. And I'm a member it, of, a, is that that's it? That's it. That's it. And it became a top 10 hit. And then we came with the album in 1990. And the second single was Help Me Hold On. Third single was I'm Gonna Be Somebody. Oh, all, yeah. all those were huge. And then the fourth single, I released this song called Put Some Drive in Your Country that I had written at uh, Dwayne Allman's gravesite down in Macon, Georgia, down at Rose Hill Cemetery years ago. Damn. And you on mushrooms or something? Y'all were just chilling? No, nah, just that's where they used to hang out. That's because that song, oh, Memory wow. of Elizabeth Reed. That was on, on a gravestone that's right down at the bottom of the cemetery where they used to go down there and hang out. Damn. So uh, I just used to sit by the grave and just try to soak up some of that vibe, that yeah. energy. And because that's, that song had all these distorted rock guitars on it and it, it was a throwback to that Leonard Skinner, Almond Brothers kind of thing, man, everybody in Nashville, Tennessee that was involved in the music industry and everybody at radio in country radio, all of a sudden they just came out, man, claws out. And they started angry. Oh, pissed off. Cause you had what taken their sound. No, because I was not following the rules yeah. at the time of country music, which were, you can use pedal steel guitar and you can do this and you can do that, but we don't allow that kind of stuff Damn. you know so uh all these writers in these country music magazines man they start trashing me and i turn on the radio and I hear some disc jockey or some program director talking about oh well he's just trying to be a rebel or he's he's a he must be hard to get along with and some of them actually came out privately and said it he's an asshole Damn, and, that's kind of cool yeah, yeah. i think that's kind of <laughs> dope dude sometimes you hear somebody thinks you're an asshole it hurts you a little bit but you're like oh that's kind of cool well it was starting <laughs> it was starting to get to me and then they hit me with the one that really did the most damage at the time they said well he's just an outlaw damn and it was really starting to, to get to me until i met waylon jennings we have a question that came in right here. This might be pertaining to it, actually. So let's uh, just pop this up and see if it fits in, man. Hey, Theo. Hey, Travis. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. This is Josh, Southern Indiana. Travis, seen you in concert a couple times. Always remember the tribute to Waylon Jennings. Tell me how he influenced your life and your singing. Thanks, man. Gang, gang. Gang, brother, and I'll and I'll t and I'll tack on to that question. Thank you for the question, man, and, and I love you, brother. Thank you for submitting that and um. Yeah, you kind of got accepted by like the, you got that that dirty thumbs up from the bad boys in a weird way, you know, which was, what was that kind of like, you know? And I guess what role did kind of Waylon play in that? And um, yeah. Waylon told me that first time I met him, he, um, I was getting ready to leave. We came into the dressing room. We were playing a show together at the Omni in Atlanta. And uh, and you're younger than him by how much? Oh, I, I know that, but by, by how much? a lot. Um, okay. 20 something years 30 wow. something years so do you are is it like when you're spending time with them is it i mean it's almost like it's like a seventh grader being around a ninth grader i'm oh, assuming kind and of he that was vibe. a hero right of mine. i mean i loved everything about him before i ever met him i loved his singing voice i loved his songwriting i loved his guitar picking i loved everything about him but one of the things i loved about him was he was not afraid to do everything. things his own way 
and um, he sat me down in his dressing room that first that first time we ever met, and he said, "Listen, I've been listen, Hoss, I've been hearing all the stuff that they've been saying about you in Nashville and on these radio stations." He said, "Let me just remind you that everything that they are saying about you now is exactly what they said about me." and about Willie Nelson, and Johnny Cash, and Hank Williams Jr., and David Allen Coe, all, he just goes down the list. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, um, are you still selling records? And I said, yeah. I said, man, I've been lucky. Everything I've done so far, sold platinum or better, a million copies or better. And he's, he said, well, are you still drawing people into your shows? I said, yeah, man, we're playing huge arenas and they're sold out. He said, listen, those are the people you should care about their opinion mm. because all these people in Nashville, they're saying all this stuff about you. They get their their music for free. He said, these people that come out there, he said, those are the people that work hard 40, 50, 60 hours a week to put food on the table for their families yeah and he said and they're willing to spend a certain amount of that hard-earned money to buy your music every time you put out new music and occasionally they'll splurge for a concert ticket to come see you when you play in their hometown he said those are the only people that matter and as long as you're pleasing them which you obviously are to hell with all the rest of these people. Yeah. And man, that was like an epiphany for me. Uh, and it also, it took a tremendous amount of weight off of my shoulders because I realized at that particular point, Waylon and all the rest of those guys that were labeled as outlaws, they got that label by simply doing the same thing that I was doing, which is just wanting to do my music my own way and do show my influences, all my influences, which were very widespread. I love I grew up country was always my center, George Jones, Merle Haggard, that was my center. But I also grew up loving the Almond Brothers, Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker Band, yeah. Charlie Daniels. And then of course the Eagles and Boston and and Fleetwood Mac and, you know, all this other stuff. And then blues. I was always a blues fan. Still am. Your voice has a lot of it, man. When I listen to some of your tunes, I'm like, man, this reminds me. There are moments where it goes into a guy like a light gospel. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Or a light. Uh, it takes me through like the different neighborhoods that were, you know, adjacent to the neighborhoods I grew up in. Mm -hmm. It takes me through. There's just, uh, yeah, I can really, I can feel some of that, man. Well, Mississippi, man, I mean, that's so much great <laughs> blues stuff came out of there, you know, and uh, that's one of the reasons why that was that was always a staple. If you take if you take bluegrass and if you take um, uh, blues and straight ahead country and southern rock. And mix all those together and then sprinkle a little bit of Southern gospel over the top of it. Yeah, that's gospel, me. baby. That's me. Looking for the Lord, man. That's like Jerry Clower. He ended up being a pastor at the end of his time, I think. Yeah, I think so. He was a preacher at the end of his time. I think here, so. Here's a, a picture right here. Will you go back to that, Sean? Here's a picture of you and uh, and Mr. Jennings right here. Is it kind of interesting to see this photo? Oh, uh, yeah. That was the first time we met. Really? That was right before we had that conversation that I just told you about. And was he like, uh, did he carry himself like an outlaw? Kind oh, of he did. He had that Jesse James vibe a little, huh? His give a shitter was totally broken. Yeah. 
he didn't care dude that's awesome man yeah man to have that yeah. moment right there yeah that was the first night and did he have any traditions that you noticed kind of backstage or what was kind of did he have any i as far as traditions i don't you know uh were you allowed to spend time with him backstage before the yeah. show? We kind of like to be by himself, or did he? No, he was he was always really good about you know, anytime I was around, he and I we, Waylon was one of the kind of people if he liked you, he let you know it. Mm. And uh, one of his favorite sayings that uh, that I remember was because a lot of people they would talk about man when you do this many shows, do you warm up or do you how do you prepare for a show? <laughs> Waylon's favorite answer to that question was, I get up off whatever I'm sitting on and go out and play music for people. That's what I do. <laughs> and that answer alone just gives you an idea of what his, yeah. his, 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 he was just cool, man. Yeah. A cool guy and a guy that was just, you know, wanting to do his kind of music his own way. And that's what, what he was going to do. And he didn't give a shit what anybody thought about that. I love that. You know, sleeping is a popular hobby, and uh, and you really you, you need to start making sure you're doing it. Not being able to sleep because of politics or pandemics, or because of a neighbor who's probably inbred and and he's over there trying to holler at his own sister. Different things keep you awake. Helix has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type with your sleep preferences. Because those are two different things. And they will let you know the perfect mattress. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? You shouldn't do it. With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz and start Goldilocking and get the rest you need. Don't ever go to a mattress store again. Helix is offering up to $200 off of all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Theo. Now that is what I call a quality deal. That's helixsleep.com slash T-H-E-O for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Helixsleep.com slash Theo. Get the rest you need. You know, sometimes your penis ain't good, it ain't good. And that's on you sometimes, and sometimes that's on God, and sometimes that's on society. You know, I remember a case of, of uh, weak erections passed through our town once when I was young. And everybody was just barely just limping out the front of their pants. Quiet times at night. Well, these days, you can have Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. Get the first chewables with the active ingredients, sildenafil or totalafil. Bluechew.com. Affiliated physicians work with you to find the dosage and active ingredients that is best for you and your penis, bro. Take care of your penis. Take care of that hard thing. No in-person doctor visit. No awkward conversations. Bluechew.com. They're made in the USA. Here's a great deal for you. Support the podcast. Get that rection. Visit bluechew.com. Get your first order free when you use promo code T H E O. 
Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Promo code Theo. Get hard in the penis, boy. Love that. Do you um do you see any of that nowadays still? Like there's a lot of man, I don't want to judge that there's a lot of cookie cutter cutter stuff out there, but um you know, I come from a cloth where I didn't have much luck with the entertainment industry. So I started creating my own stuff and, right. you know, went on Joe Rogan and learned, oh, I can podcast and talk about my life. I, sure. I spent a lot of time in Hollywood trying to, like, um, get rid of whatever kind of accent I had in my throat, even though I didn't grow up, like, really redneck. We just grew up kind of poor and white. Right. More like white trash. Like, we didn't have a boat. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't, we didn't have bait. You know what I'm saying? Like, those were fucking, you know, chicken liver was a delicacy, I thought, you know, so... I thought it was sushi when I first heard about it, you know, it was fucking, it seemed pretty nice, but, but so we didn't have like a country kind of vibe. We just had more of like a regular white vibe. But when I got to Hollywood, they, it really was like, oh, here's a country. It was like, there was no nuance to anything. There. Right. And I, I, for years I would take vocal classes trying to like get like a straight, normal voice where I sounded exactly. And then finally one day I just said, man, I just can't even, I'm just tired of pretending, you know. I just don't even know what's going on anymore sometimes. And once I started to fall into my own world, you know, in my own life is when I started to have a little bit more success. Um, do you see any outlaws still out there these days? Do you see any? There's a few. I mean, uh, in just the last few years, you know, you've had people that have basically chosen to um, say to hell with whatever's going on in nashville and they mm -hmm. really don't use that as as a gauge for what they think they should be doing right and they're not they're not afraid to break those rules you know you've got guys like uh cody jinks you know and some of those guys jason isbell is one um some of those other guys that are they just want to do their kind of music their own way yeah and um those are the people that i think uh especially in today's world, they stand out from yeah. the crowd, you know? And that's all I was trying to do back in those days, too. Not only just show my influences, but also be a, a little bit something different so that people remember your name and yeah. they remember your music and they remember your your performances because they're a little bit different than everybody else's. Yeah, you need to get people to remember you. I remember thinking, man, I you know, I don't care if they remember my jokes. Right. I want people to come back to see me. Exactly. As a human, as a as an entertainer, but also as so I need to get as close to my work as a, as I can to my humanity. Yes. So that when they see one, they see a little bit of the other. And I want them to come back and pay a fair price ticket to see me as a person. I want them to be like, "Oh, we're going to see Theo." Like, what jokes does he tell? Oh, I don't even know. That's Th fine if I don't if they don't even know what jokes I tell. I just want them to come and see me. Don't you think a lot of that comes from people just want to want to gravitate towards something that's real? I think I think especially these days. Yeah. You know, we talk on this podcast, you know, we do a lot of episodes where it's just me talking and to nobody really. But um, and so, yeah, we try to talk about like just things that make us feel or that make mm -hmm. us think or. Yeah. Because you know, everybody has these things going sure. on and it's like we've kind of disappeared. Um some of that's kind of disappeared. It's everything's yep. become so formulaic. It has, it um, has, and that's one of the things that, you know, is when you when I hear people talk about being a little bit nostalgic for the the music mm -hmm. that took place, and not just the music, but lifestyle with all oh, the yeah. all the stuff that's gone on in the last few years. Um, I'm just 
in the in the process right now of releasing a single off of a new album and it's called smoking a bar and it's talking about kind of being nostalgic for the days when we didn't seem to have all this upheaval and you know you people came by neighbors came by and talked on the porch we all said good night we never locked the front doors yeah even downtown you could still see the stars when the world turned slower and you could smoke in a bar oh yeah you know that kind of thing so i feel good about that there yeah i mean and people are nostalgic for that kind of thing especially as crazy as things are getting um those of us that are that are old enough to remember a simpler time Mm -hmm. i think we kind of long for that do you feel like well and well it's one of the reasons why recently i've tried to relocate to nashville i still have my place in los angeles and i'm from louisiana originally but um but I do notice here there is a there is certainly a bit more of you have a little more time for people as humans, yeah, right? Um, and it is a bit of a slower pace. There's a little more trust amongst people. There is. It's not as eroded away. Exactly. Um, it hasn't been as marketed. Right. Um, you know, I uh, dude, I remember I used to play. They used to have this place in St. Louis, the Funny Bone over there. And yeah. So it was a comedy club, man. And the first the first show was no smoking. Right. The the late two shows, dude, those bitches were smoking. Bro, I remember, bro, like, dog, I didn't know if there was nine people in there or fucking 9,000. There was so much smoke. It was seven-foot ceiling at best. Trust me. And no, no, uh, I don't even think they had a damn system to get the smoke out. They had a freaking, I swear to God, they had a waitress by the window with the window open just waving a menu at it. Like, they didn't have a damn game plan, bro. And I couldn't tell you, bro, if it was a damn. I bro, played. I swear, at one point, I saw a damn boat go through the mist. I didn't know what oh. was going on. I said, it is fucking thick in here. But I would just still do my shows. I had cancer by that second show, but I kept doing them, boy. I was in remission by the second day I was there. I was in remission. Did you ever smoke cigarettes Oh, all? yeah. I used to smoke them. I smoked for probably about 16 years. Yeah, I, I did about the same thing. Do you miss smoking it? Sometimes no, I miss some of it. Not at all. How I, bad did it get for you? Um, I never was a heavy smoker. I at, at my, I would always smoke when I drank. Mm-hmm. And so at the very most, I was maybe a pack a week. Oh, that's not bad. You know, so it wasn't bad at all. But um, I got bronchitis in, uh, I think it was... 1992 and i went to the doctor and he said man he said i don't give a shit if you start back immediately but you've got to quit smoking for at least three weeks and i thought to myself well if i can quit for three weeks man i can quit completely yeah and then um ever since then i'm not completely tobacco free i i still dip every now and then you know yeah I couldn't but, dip good, man. Yeah. Well, the good thing about dipping is nobody's ever died from secondhand spit. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, who knows what's going on in some places? Who knows what's going on? Some people are real caught up in some wild shit. But, uh, dude, I remember when I was young, we went, the first time we got a can of dip, man, it was like cherry skull or something. Yeah. And my buddy had got his driver's permit. In Louisiana, they gave it to you at 15, man. They gave you that bastard really? at 15. And it didn't even have a picture of you. It literally had a drawing of you on it. I was like, damn, that shit looks sketchy as hell. <laughs> And uh, my buddy got his mom's car, and we got a can of Cherry Skull, dude, and that was our night, bro. We didn't even, we was just hitting puberty, man, so we didn't even know nothing about really women. We knew about them, but we wasn't thinking about it. Right, exactly. So we went out, man, and I got sick on it, right? And I puked out of my buddy's driver's side window. 
Then I got so sick, I said, I need to sit in the back. I puked out of each window in the back. Okay, look. So in the morning, my buddy, his mom came back in town or whatever. She sees the car and there's vomit out of it, all three windows. So she said, who were you? Went out with some kind of party. And he said, look, I went out with Theo. He got sick. He just vomited out of all three windows. His mom, to this day, doesn't believe him. She said, what kind of maniac would vomit out of three different windows? That'll make you do it. That was fun. Especially man. the first time. Oh, yeah. Woo. Dude, I miss stuff like that. You remember the first time uh, Remember the first time you ever drank or anything like that or anything yeah. like that? Man, I, man, I shouldn't even tell this story, but I'm going to tell you. Yeah, I was uh, I was 16 years old, and my high school was doing uh, uh, the play Godspell, and I was I was in. I you was, were in the play. I was singing. Oh damn! Off, boy. off stage, I was singing off stage. Oh damn! Yeah, they, they weren't ready for you in the center. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no. I said, let's put them in, in the wing. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the guy that was our theater teacher. He's sitting, we were doing rehearsals, and he's sip, sipping on a Coke can. And I just got a whiff of it, and it smelled like peppermint. And I thought, now that's not Coca-Cola, man. Yeah. So I asked him one day, I said, what are you drinking? And he said, uh, peppermint snobs. And he told you. And he gave me some. Oh, hell yeah. So That's the Lord working, man. Maybe. I remember that was all I needed right there, man. It's like, yeah, this is good, and uh, until I got sick on it, and then I can't, I can't stand the smell of it to this day. Oh, I could imagine. That's a strong one. Yeah, that's a weird one. But oh God, I just. I and did, did you so sing? Much would you just do it at the shows? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, all my buddies. I mean, we're we're country boys, man. Oh, yeah. We lived out in the country, so. You know, the thing, everybody went to work, did what they had to do, and then when you get off work, let's go buy some beers, and let's go find some place to hang and party. Oh, yeah. You know, and that might be a club, that might be a bonfire out back, Yeah. that might be, you know, there was a big waterfall uh, that was close to our, our area where the Chattahoochee River ran through, and a lot of times, hey, we're all going to meet at the falls tonight, let's go over there you know so just That's you know fun. stuff like that yeah, yeah it was you know normal normal yeah and such a good such a rich environment for creating music i feel like such oh, yeah. a rich environment for creating um memories and moments like i rem like i just remember yeah things then a lot of songs then i felt like had a little bit and i and i hate to blanket statement like this cuz it's it's not always true but there was sometimes more story that I could relate to. Um, maybe I was also at an age where I was really just growing up and still coming into life, you know, in your, yeah. in your late teens and 20s. Um, but, yeah, there's something about, like, moments that are just yours where you can really then create art from them. Whereas now so many moments are, uh, they're so manipulated before... They, yeah. You ever even put the pen to the paper? That's right. Because they've been shared so many times, or it, back in those days, man. I mean, and and from its its inception, country music has always been, in my opinion, the best genre for storytelling of all music. Mm. And no matter wh where you're from, what your background is, there's going to be a country music song out there. Back in those days, there were that is going to speak to how you're feeling no matter how you feel about your your job 
your social status, your family, your country, um, your uh, spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Um, there's yeah. going to be a song that's going to relate to how you're feeling and the things that you're dealing with in, a, in your life at that particular point. And that's one of the things I, I think I miss the most about a lot of today's country music because I just miss those great stories, man. Yeah. Being able to tell those great stories that everybody can relate to. Johnny's daddy. Exactly. Taking and fishing. <laughs> exactly, man. Dude, by the time they got to the end and they're in the damn hospital, I'm just fucking. <laughs> I'm at the gym, bro, and I'm fucking crying. I'm fucking trying to do 45s and I'm fucking crying. See, that's crying. good. That's good because that means it obviously touched a, yeah. a really special spot in you that made you feel if it makes you feel something yeah i don't care what it is anger fear uh sadness joy whatever it may be if it makes you feel something yeah that's a pretty darn good sign man yeah man i remember i'm trying to think of ones well we went to the dances so a lot of y'all's music they would play at some of our dances yeah. once i got like later in the high school man yeah and some of those, man, you hit those ballads, you get out there with a lady, bro. There was oh. nothing like that. <laughs> there fact, was nothing man. like that, man. And that's where music becomes more than just music for a lot of people, too. It becomes really kind of the soundtrack of your life. Yeah. That's one of the things about music that's always amazed me. It's like I can remember where I was for very specific moments in my life. Mm -hmm. And exactly what song was playing in the background. Wow. Like, first time I ever drove my dad's car by myself, mm -hmm. you know? Or first yeah. time I ever went on a date. First time I ever kissed a girl. First time I, you know, all these different things. And I knew exactly what song was playing in the background for each one of those individual things. Because they're, they're not just something that's playing in the background. It's the soundtrack of your life. And every time I hear that song today... Yeah any one of those songs, it takes me right back to that spot again. And I think a lot of people, music does that for them. Yeah, I think, man, my mom my mom got one of those War, uh, Warner Brothers, like, music disc things for, like, 19 cents. You got, like, six albums, you know? Yeah, right. So she picked out four, and she let us pick out two, you know? And, um, and we would have to clean the house to Brian Adams every weekend, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, man. Right. Have I told yeah. you lately? <laughs> Well, no, that's not even Brian. That's no, that's uh, uh, Rod Charles. Stewart. Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart was one of the she got. She got Leonard Cohen, Rod Stewart, Brian Adams. But man, we would. Uh... Oh, and the Traveling Wilburys. Oh she yeah, got. man. Dude, that was a band that never got the. I mean, I'm sure they maybe did at the time, but I mean, that was even before your time. But it was like, man, that band. Well, that was like the. Uh, that was like the country music equivalent of what the Highwaymen were, which wow. was Johnny Cash. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson. I got to go back and listen to more of that. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, the traveling Wilburys, man. Yeah, that was some traveling Wilburys. That's some of the best in the business, right there. Got Tom Petty in there. You got George Harrison. Did uh, you ever want to? Did you ever try to cheat genres a little? Did you ever feel like you were or trying to get out of your own? Like, because it's like I know it's not cheat genres, but did you ever? 
Was there ever a moment where you felt like you were just sometimes your, our lives change? Right. And so the art we're putting out changes with it. And it's, sometimes right. it's hard to, you know, we're like, man, this is this has worked so well for me. I'm almost scared of getting older, growing into something different or anything. Did you ever feel like there were moments where your music changed? Mom? No, I, I really didn't. I, I've always kind of used the same recipe mm -hmm. for making records. And that is that I just want to include a little bit of each one of those different genres that were so influential to me. So there's going to be, uh, in the process of just recording this, I just recorded the first album that I've done in studio in 13 years. Oh, dang. And I recorded it with Dave Cobb, who produces yeah, the legend. Chris, Chris Stapleton and Sturgill Simpson and all those guys. And it's done now? Yeah, it's done. And it's, how do you, you feel good about it? Yeah, I feel great about it. It's going to be out May 7th. It's called Set in Stone. But... People were asking me when people found out that I was going to be doing an album, a new album. Mm -hmm. uh, what's it going to be like, man? Are you going straight head country? Are you going more toward the rock side? Or are you going to do more blues? Or what are you doing? I said, man, the only way I know how to answer that, it's going to be a Travis Tread album. And that means that every Travis Tread album that I've ever done has had the same recipe, which is show a little bit of the blues, show a little bit of the southern rock, rock influence show a little bit of that straight ahead country stuff show a little bit of the bluegrass and just show and sprinkle a little bit of southern gospel over the mm. top of it and that's me so that's exactly what we did and there's um if you uh, are particularly into one genre over another uh you may not like every song but there's gonna be something on there you're gonna like i like that we got a question right here from a fellow that came in let's get to this right here Thanks, Sean. What's up, Theo? Hey, Mr. Travis Tritt, one of my favorite artists, by the way. Me and my dad just went to a show two years ago, and uh, it was a blast. Uh, you guys got some fine-looking mullets trying to grow one out myself. Uh, for Travis, I'm just curious, some of your new favorite artists, country ain't the same as it used to be, but I uh, just wanted your take. Thanks, guys. Gang, gang. Well, you said Cody Jenks. You said... Um... I love Chris Stapleton, too. I think he's... he's uh... He's tremendously talented. Uh, yeah, he's timeless. It's almost like listening to a cavern of nostalgia, comfort. There's a lot that goes in. Yeah. He's, it's almost like a whiskey or something. Yeah, he's like a exactly. really good whiskey. Exactly. He's really good. I love Marcus King. Oh, yeah. He was just on uh, Tom Segura's <laughs> podcast, wasn't he, Sean? Yeah, he people love him. He's such a neat person as well, it seems like. Yeah, man. He's He is... A talented dude. There he is. Yeah, he's so, yeah. Uh, there's just something immediately so endearing about him when you even see him. He's got a great voice, great guitar player, great musician. He's, uh, and he's Larry, got a lot of that same blues, southern rock influence, and he's not afraid to show it. That Larry Fleet, you listen to it? Oh, I love Larry Fleet. Yeah. I actually met Larry Fleet for the first time. I, w I was hosting... Uh, a show for USA Network mm -hmm. called Real Country mm -hmm. uh, back about uh, I might remember this. three years ago. Yeah, uh, me, Shania Twain, Jake Owen were the were the oh uh, Jake's awesome guy host judges, and uh, one of the people that came up in the competition was Larry Fleet, and I remember telling him um, as soon as he actually won his round, and uh, I remember going up to him after cameras were shut off and just telling him man you are 
an amazing talent. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. And he just has just done some great stuff recently. He's got a song out called That's Where I Find God. Oh, yeah. That is just. Oh, it's one of the ones that made me feel when you talked about songs that make you feel. There you go. I mean, it's like uh, it's like somebody took a trailer hitch from the world and literally hooked it onto my heart. That's right. That's you know, right. There's something analogy. specially does there. Um, yeah, he's a super unique man, super talent. Um, I I believe that we're kind of getting into a time where uh, Morgan Wally. Listen to Morgan. Yeah, I like Morgan. Yeah, I a love lot. Morgan. A yeah, lot. he came on. He came on it like maybe a month ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a close buddy of mine, man. He's God. He's all. He's almost too talented. Yeah. Exactly. I almost feel like exactly. sometimes I listen to so many of his songs. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man! Yeah. Throw a couple bad ones in here. <laughs> You know, and then he's got like he's always like you know he's like look I always want to tell you you know uh, they don't somebody leaked my music at Walmart and uh, I don't even shop at Walmart I love him bro he's such a uh, and Morgan you know I love you so I'm just uh, but I introduced him to UFC we watched some UFC fights a couple weeks ago um, he's a special talent man he's a special talent um, I think that people are getting more into I think. Like you're talking nostalgia and connection. I feel like during this virus, during the pandemic, that a lot of people have started to say, I don't know if I want this rat race, Yeah, man. whatever this is. It doesn't, the allure of it, it's almost like the curtain got pulled back on some of just the f- relentless go, go for what? Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of us, well, I know for myself, I can only speak for, I'm sitting in kind of just in myself and saying, what do I want? Mm-hmm. I want to feel good. Right. You know, I want other people around me to feel good. I want to be able to be a part of things that are good. Exactly. And I think that a lot of people are starting to feel that way. I think there's going to be a, a a resurgence of not country music, but music that connects people, music that makes people feel. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what takes place in in all of music, really. But especially in country music, I'm looking forward to seeing what takes place as a result of being locked down for mm. all these many months. In and because you know good and well, all these great songwriters and all these artists and all these people, they have had nothing better to do with their time than to sit down and do exactly that. Mm. All of those things, and. I think it's going to be it's almost going to be like a baby boom except for music. Yeah. I think I think we're going to see that and that's exciting to think about. But the baby's a pedal steel maybe. That's a brag. Yeah. Oh, damn. It's a six pound eight ounce pedal steel guitar. It's a girl. Congratulations. Well, it's a progressive instrument. <laughs> um we have a question that came in right here from you. You might even notice this lady she was at uh I remember her from she was at Kid Rock's 50th actually. Awesome. Hey Travis, Tammy here, big fan. I think you had some of the best music videos of the 90s. I think your performance in your video, Tell Me I Was Dreaming, should have won an Oscar. (laughs) My question to you is, I know you've done a lot of acting in your career. Which do you prefer, full-time rock star or full-time movie star? Love ya. Love you too. That's a good question, man, because at certain points of, of popularity, they start to offer you things that they might not have offered you. You don't have to go into that room to audition as much. That's exact. 
man, I had no aspirations whatsoever about being an actor. Right. But did it grow on you though? Well, I enjoyed it, and I'll tell you the reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, I was all, always out of my element when I was doing a, a movie or a television show or whatever it may be, when I was doing any kind of acting. And so, because I was so insecure about it and so nervous about it, I didn't just go in and learn my lines. I learned the whole damn script. I knew everybody's lines. Damn. And um, because I'm... I have a real hard time multitasking. I, I get real laser focused on whatever it is I'm doing at the moment. Mm-hmm. So if I'm songwriting, I'm focused on that. If I'm recording, I'm really focused on that. And if I'm performing, I'm really focused on that. So doing these acting roles, it forced me to concentrate so much on that that I completely took a vacation from music i didn't think about music i didn't talk about music i didn't uh try to write music or whatever and i found that the benefit of that was when i finished a acting role and came back to the music i found that i was more creative mm. um it was like man this is a fresh start again yeah and um i wrote better songs um i performed better my mind was more in the game because if you do anything, I think over a long period of time, same thing over and over again, it can tend to get a little bit monotonous. Yeah. But if you get a break from it and then you get a chance to come back and look at it through a little bit different perspective, uh, it helped me tremendously. I think it helps make me a better artist and, and a, a better songwriter and a, a better entertainer was there um was there a role ever that you kind of like oh this is kind of neat like because acting one of the reasons that people don't know acting if you're a touring artist acting takes a lot of time it's a really long so you know as a musician you could probably do six shows in a daytime of you would do one set or one scene or half an episode of a a tv program or something so that's one of the reasons i think a lot of uh entertainers don't go over into acting that aren't actors right um was there a role or something you felt like you kind of got into or something man the one i had the most fun with was i got to do do you remember a show called tales from the crypt yes Yes, I remember the beginning, the opening thing yeah, with, with the skeletons. The skeleton. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I got to do Tales from the Crypt with Hank Azaria and wow. with um, Ben Stein. And I played. We were robbing um, bodies for this doctor so that he could try to find what he believed was the soul gland in a person. Mm. And at the end... I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler. Alert. Yeah, there you go, right there, the big end, dog. I get my head cut off, <laughs> and I come back from the dead. Damn, because they didn't remove my soul gland. I come back from the dead, and that was so much fun because there were no limitations on what the director basically said: do whatever you want to do, come up with your own voice for it act as crazy as you possibly can do any wild stuff that you want to do in this your your parameters are just wide open and that was so much fun man i came up you know i come out and of course i'm 
I've got this head on backwards, and I'm, I look like I'm walking. Is it your head? Yeah, they did a they did a, a, a Todd Masters who did all of the special effects for that show. He created a, a head, a rubber head of me. It was perfect that they dropped down a well and I come back out of the well. Yeah. And man, it was that was just so much fun to do that particular role because they were, you know, it's always fun to play kind of the bad guy. Yeah. You know, that's always yeah. fun. But but especially when it's like you're this monster that has returned from the dead, there's no there's no limitations on that. Oh yeah, huh? It's free, free. It's all. It's it's open game. Then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're already dead, dude. It's a wrap. You can do whatever you want now. <laughs> that's exactly. Dude, right. I miss the old days, man. Back when they had peeping toms and shit. When oh, I was yeah. growing up, dude. We used to do peeping tomming when I was growing up, dude. <laughs> we had a guy in our neighborhood who had a ladder, and we'd have to like almost sign it out for him because everybody was always borrowing it. Oh, we'd get that bitch on a Thursday, dude. We'd get out there, dude. Do some peeping tomming. We don't even have that anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, damn, that is. When's the last time you heard of anybody getting arrested for peeping Tom? <laughs> Dude, in high school we had a buddy who did, but yeah. and all my other friends were like, man, that's disgraceful. I'm like, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I told him. I even said, hey man, don't smoke cigarettes out there and leave the butts. That's how they catch you. Yeah, you, you know? got it. <laughs> And I said, look, if you're going to be out there for a couple hours, do a little gardening while you're out there. there you know go. what I'm saying? There have you some, go. Have some respect. There for, you go. Have some respect. For who you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Have some respect. Dude, I miss those days, man. I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm heavily nostalgic. I love nostalgia. I love, like, just sometimes just laying back and trying to feel through the moments that I had as a child and as a young adult. And there's just something so wonderful about, like, the freshness of life then, how it's the every moment is like in a Ziploc bag and you're Absolutely. just cracking that thing open for the first time, sure. you know? Um, was there, what about like a first kiss? Was there anything special that you had like that growing up? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Falling in love. Oh, it was fun. What? Oh it? man. It was awesome. It was awesome. God, it was fun. It dude. was awesome. It was so severe. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. <sighs> And everything, everything that happened, man, you could relate it to. Oh man, this relates to how I feel about so and so. You know, it's it's just crazy. But you know, the I don't think that ever really goes away completely. You know, because I remember when I met my wife. Um, I've been married three times. This okay. is my third marriage. But like getting my, hit by rice, huh? <laughs> A bird seed. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, man, that my, cheap rice. That's right. Yeah. My wife and I, we met in 95, and we got married in 97, and we've okay. been together ever since. And I've heard a lot of nice things about it. We were at Hillary Williams' birthday last night, and she said uh, she had a ton of nice things to say about you guys. She's just wonderful. But I knew as soon as I met her that this person is – it wasn't love at first sight, mm-hmm. but it was darn sure heavy attraction at the first sight, man. Because she – not only was she beautiful, but she was just so down to earth and relatable, and that's that's the kind of people I grew up around. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of gravitated toward each other, and it just and I I remember that how that felt, and even though it was you know twenty some odd years ago, it's it doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like it was you know could have been last week. I think some of that is adult love. Whenever you kind of get that person that you're just so comfortable being around. Um, mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I remember childhood love. It was just like, I remember I'd go to school and I knew I was going to see this girl, Katie. And like all day I was oh, yeah. like just practicing like, what face I would have on when she looked over, you know, and it was always the worst one when she finally looked. It was always the fucking worst one. Um, do you remember a first kiss? There was some, even just a little like smooch around the neighborhood, anything? Yeah. Uh, I was, and no offense to your wife. She's the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she doesn't mind that because. She knows. Uh, I first girl I ever kissed was a girl by the name of uh, Melody McCoy. Oh yeah. And uh, I was dating her, and she was in that same play, Godspell. So this was all oh, yeah. around the same time. Oh yeah, you liquored oh, up. You're learning oh, it all, baby. Absolutely, <laughs> Let's man. Go. I'm learning quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on the hopefully fast the same track. guy that gave you the liquor didn't teach you how to run the smooch, man. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> and I had a my first car. What was it? A 1969 Rambler, three on the tree, 306 cylinder. Damn, new? Oh, no. 69. Oh. Rambler. Oh, my bad. 69 Rambler. It was, oh, it was a piece oh, of junk, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, if Rambler was an appropriate name for it. Oh, oh my yeah. God. It was terrible. <laughs> but it was mine, and I bought it. Yeah. And, How much uh, was it? Uh, 500 bucks. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. I had a 1984 Ford Escort for $600, See? and somebody stole the passenger seat out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so people would get in, and that would go directly to the back. <laughs> Nobody would have wanted the passenger seat out of this yeah. one, man. It was awful. <laughs> it was terrible. It was so bad. Instead of, you know how you turn on the windshield washers, uh -huh. you know, spray the windshield washer fluid up yeah. on them? Well, this one had a little bulb on the floorboard that you had to pump like a like a water uh water gun <laughs> it was terrible like it hold on there's some bird shit out there exactly get this thing going. exactly That's but great. man that well, yeah we went out uh where'd you take her do you remember i took her to a there's a there was a park close to our house and they had like swing sets and you know a little one of those merry-go-round things yeah. and I took her to that. Were you nervous, you remember? Yeah, I was nervous. Yeah. Yeah, big time. But, man, oh, that was a great experience. Dude, I remember they had this girl in my neighborhood named Chrissy Hunt, and she was missing a tooth, or one of us was. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It was that age. I don't know. Somebody, dude, between, between two of us, I think we had about 11 teeth, you know, and it was just... Uh, <laughs> I didn't come from a heavily enameled area, you know, and... uh and she was yeah i remember she we kind of locked ourselves in a room or something i think we'd felt so much pressure kids in the neighborhood were always yeah. like kiss each other you know just yeah. like yeah and we were so scared and and then i remember at one point thinking i was supposed to like touch her breast but i remember touching my own i was so scared to touch hers i started touching my own i just didn't know what to do man i just but i didn't want to be a wimp you know so i just absolutely dude i think i had bigger chest than she did at the time i mean it was just young you know and we had dude we had this guy in our neighborhood the dad was a elvis impersonator right but we only had about 600 people in town we didn't have, we don't need a fucking elvis impersonator this dude was alcoholic oh okay so but i mean he also dressed up like elvis at least you know so it's pretty entertaining but he would make his kids stay in the yard and he had an electric fence dude and one of the girls would let me go over there and like kind of smooch her through the electricity bro <laughs> Oh, man. Bro, the stress at, at just, God, I can still feel the stress in my neck trying to kiss through those wires. Holy bro. cow. God. 
wow man dude and then we had i forgot about this so this girl chrissy's brother he was like i, I think he more preferred the company of men you know and so he made us i remember this now he made us dress up like army people and put our hair back and like made our hair look short hers and hit and made me and his sister kiss each other dressed up like little really? men yeah i think that's how it. old Dude, I think we were probably about 13, boy, 12, maybe. <laughs> he shouldn't have been doing that. He was only about 16, so I don't think he really knew what he was doing either. But when I look back on it, I'm like, why are we, why are we both lieutenants? You know what I'm saying? Like, that dude was, and then he good. went into the military years later. He went into Did he really? It. Yeah, he did, man. Awesome. But uh, damn. Yeah, I just there's something I love about that. We got a question right here that came up from somebody. What up, Theo gang, baby? I just got a question for Travis real quick. I want to know, what do you miss most about the climb to fame in the music industry when you were out there cutting your teeth on Broadway or wherever you were? Uh, what do you miss most about that? And uh, Theo, why don't you use some of that money from your butt and get your tire fixed? Hey, Amen, dude. I just I had a t uh, flat tire, and I, f I got up to eight cans of Fix-A-Flat in it before I finally... <sighs> Took it in, man. So that's who I am. You know, you procrastinator. Oh, I was like, you can hold one more can. They had to replace a lot of stuff when I finally got over there. <laughs> they said, your tire has plaque buildup. I said, plaque buildup. Take it to the dentist. Yeah, dude. I need to take this thing yeah. somewhere else. Somewhere else. Um, yeah, what about that climb, man? Because there's something, once you kind of achieved a level, once you, I mean, your level of, of, of success is a really rare level, but what, yeah, what do you miss about that climb? What do you miss about, like really miss about some of the early moments, you know? I wouldn't say I miss it, but. Because um, you can never replicate that, exactly. really. Exactly. You can't replicate. I mean, you can only, you know, you can only launch that rocket one time, you know, but. And when it's all new to you, you know that you're only you're only a virgin once. Yeah. And the fact that um, I was playing all those bars and clubs and stuff, and I've I've told my my son and my daughter that want to get into music about that uh, experience. <clears throat> Man, I learned so much the hard way playing all those smoky clubs like you're talking about, those smoky bars and dives and beer joints and honky-tonks and bowling alleys and pool halls. and Bowling alleys is always the weirdest. Oh, man, weird place, man, <laughs> yeah, right? Dude, you're hitting a low note and somebody just damn gets a split. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> but you're having to compete against all of that, and plus you're having to compete against alcohol to try to get these people's attention. And uh, every one of the places that I played, man, they had – they either had pool tables or they had dart boards or they had uh, pinball machines oh. or maybe all of the above. So you're trying to compete against all that. And it, it was difficult, man. It was rough. And I went through a lot of nights where, I, how in the world am I going to get these people's attention? But I, even though I hated some of those instances that i was put in some of those positions i was put in i wouldn't take anything for them now because i learned i learned how if the show is uh interrupted for whatever reason if you break a guitar string for mm -hmm. example or if a mic quits working or something <clears throat> you learn how to keep people's attention you learn how to keep the patter up you learn how to um work your way through it and those are the things that i still 
pull from the that book of knowledge. I still pull from that every single day yeah. when I get on stage. So, was there a song that you would go to? Because it's funny you say that. Because I remember being in places where the 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 music was secondary to the liquor. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like these people are having a good time. We're gonna also let you do comedy over here, <laughs> right? But if you have you want to get everybody's attention, that's gonna you have to do that. There's nobody in here is gonna help you do that. You that's know. A fact. Was there a song or something you went to sometimes when you realized, okay, I got to kind of reel it back in here ever when you were starting? Yeah, out? there were there were two there were two songs that I really learned right off the bat um, after playing clubs because I, I started out with just an acoustic guitar and mm-hmm. that was it, and then um, I went out in probably I don't know it was probably nineteen eighty four. Yeah. And I went out and bought a Fender Twin amp, and I bought a Fender Stratocaster, and somehow or another, I've never even seen one since then, but I bought a 100-foot guitar cord. Mm-hmm. So the, <laughs> the first the first two songs, uh, first two sets, rather, uh-huh. that night, you know, because they're serving food in there, too. It's a bar, restaurant kind of thing. The first two sets, man, I'm up there with my acoustic guitar and I'm playing James Taylor and John Denver and, you know, whatever, George Strait. <clears throat> but by the time it got to that third one, pull out that electric guitar and that 100-foot guitar cord and I'm running out on top of people's tables, kicking beer and shit over, yeah. you know. And just, but I, I had their attention. 737 coming out. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, and I'm doing uh, Johnny Be Good, yeah, you know, and stuff Playing like that. In the traveling band, getting people's attention. Yeah. On the other side of that coin, That's I found awesome. out that because you'd have fights that would break out, you know. Occasionally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah what do you play a ballad then? What do you do at that point, man? I found out the not a, only a ballad, but the right ballad. Nobody can fight. I, I learned this <laughs> right off the bat, man. Nobody can fight if you play Silent Night. The Christmas song? Silent oh, Night. Yeah, bro. That will stop a fight quicker than anything on this planet. Shepherds <laughs> Quake. I could see that, man. Uh, so, That's hilarious. Yeah, man. So I learned those two things right off the bat. I learned how to take them up, and I learned how to take yeah. them down if, if it got a little Amen, bit too man. crazy. Dude, I'm so bad at karaoke. My song that I've always done is rocking around the Christmas tree, right? Yeah. I do that at karaoke no matter what time of year it is. And people, like, at first are like, this guy's a fucking idiot. But then about, it's only a two minute and 16 second song, the right. one I do. Right. So about a minute in, you kind of see people are kind of okay with it, and then you're done. So you kind of got it out of your system. <laughs> but I can relate to going to a Christmas carol, man. Yeah, man. Using it when you need it. It worked. Um. What's it like to be a father, man? What's that? What's that experience been like for you, man? It's the greatest thing in the world. I did you know it would be going into it? Did you have skepticism about? Because I have a lot of fear going about going into and being a father. You're not a father yet. I, uh, I no, I really didn't because, and I guess the reason that I didn't was because after my second uh, divorce, I basically took about six eight years, and man, I. I played the field. I sowed all the wild oats that I could have possibly. Oh, you was out there, on. huh? I, I, big time. Okay. And played the field. And the good thing about it was I figured out during that period of time, okay, this is what I do want, and that right there is what I definitely don't want. Mm. And I 
I, so by the time that I met my wife, uh, I knew exactly what I was looking for, and I knew she was it. And so having kids with somebody like that that you feel that way about, mm-hmm. it's not scary at all, or at least uh, it wasn't for me. It, now, it would have been extremely terrifying had it happened in the first two marriages, but we, thank God, I got through through both of those with no kids. But uh, I remember being excited to be a father, um, and in my my daughter, when she was born, I I was with Warner Brothers Records at the time, Mm -hmm. and I had been with them since the beginning of my career, and... I was looking to get off of that label, and I also wanted to stay home and see what being a dad was all about. Mm. So um, <clears throat> as soon as we found out she was on her way, I told my record label, I'm not doing any more records for you. I'm going to get out of this contract, and I'm staying home. I'm not touring. I'm not doing anything. I wanted to be home the first time. I wanted to be home, when, obviously, when she was born, but I wanted to be home when uh, she took her first steps, Yeah. when she said her first words. I wanted to be home for all of that. So I took from 1998 to 2000 off mm. just to be home and see what this daddy thing is all about. Yeah. And Was it pretty special? Oh, extremely. This is her right here. Extremely. Yeah. Oh, you got a beautiful little family, dude. Oh, thank you, brother. That's all three of your children? Yes. Oh, dang, huh? Yeah, yeah that's them. A couple of shorties in there. Beautiful ladies, bro. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wow. Um, What's your daughter's? What was the first daughter's name? Tyler Reese. Tyler Reese. And is she the one that plays music, you said? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's been, uh, obviously, before COVID and everything hit, she'd been out on the road doing a lot of shows. Uh, do you guys play together uh, ever? Yeah, we do. As a matter of fact, I took her in the studio when she was 14 and uh, recorded a song for one of my albums. And we, we've been doing that song together. I bring her out on the road with me and, you know, we do that song together. And then she started working on her own and, and uh, she's doing shows on her own. And she was really, I mean, everything was really at that stage where it was she was getting to be known by a lot of people and then COVID hit. Yeah. But it's going to come back. It's going to come right back. It's going to come right back. What's something special about Tyler? Just how, even though, even just as a human, it doesn't even have to be about music. The fact that she is, she's got one of the kindest hearts. I think I've ever, ever been around. She really is. I mean, she can be now she can be rough. Yeah. You know, she lost her cell phone back um, at Easter. Of last year. Oh, that'll roughen a girl. That's a that's that's Dude, a female's Vietnam right there, dog. Man, she lost her cell phone for about four or five hours, yeah. six hours, and man, she didn't speak to me for like a week, you know, because I was just trying to help, and it, oh yeah, it, it was pissing her off. But she's <laughs> outside of outside of of the of stuff like that she's really one of the kindest hearted people she cares about people she cares about family mm. and she uh she's extremely sweet that's Very cool sweet. man that's cool and uh and your son his name is taylor you said no tristan is tristan, my, is my middle 
And then okay. my youngest one is Tyrion, T-A-R-I-A-N. Oh, dang. Like the Lannisters almost like yeah. from Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's right. dope, dude. Yeah. yeah. That's dope. Yeah. Um, and what's Tristan like? Tristan is, uh, he's very laid back. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he looks almost exactly like me. Um, oh, he's got to get that mole going then. Does he have that haircut or no? Yeah. He has some flow? Yeah. Pl- oh, yeah. Praise God, yeah, bro. he's got some flow going. Yeah, man. He, that uh, lettuce. The kids call it lettuce. You know that? <laughs> That's what they call it. They call Is it that, that cabbage. Call? That's what they call it. Cabbage? Yeah, they call it that lettuce, yeah. Well, Tristan Tritt is, he's coming into his own. Uh, and the more I watch him perform mm-hmm. live, he's got a, a group called Tristan Tritt and Pale Moon Creek. And the more I see him live on stage, the more he looks exactly. I look at him, and it's like looking in a mirror. Wow, it's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I I see him, and I see me. That's cool. It's just a fact. But, uh, yeah, that's him. There you go. There he is on the left. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's him. That's cool, man. That's neat to have your family kind of be involved in what you're in, and it seems like you guys are able to navigate it pretty comfortably without any uh, too much envy or anything like that. That's yeah. the thing I would I think would be tough. Maybe it would seem like from an outsider's perspective yeah. if there's like envy from the kids that makes the parenting uncomfortable or something. Yeah, everybody, you know, our family really has always gotten along extremely well, and I know one of the things that blows my mind. Mm-hmm. As I said, my daughter is 23, my son is 21, and my youngest son is 17. And I know when I was at any one of those ages, man, the, all I wanted to do was get as far away from my parents as I possibly could, yeah. man. i just get out on my own and do my thing. But our kids, and I give my wife credit for this, she raised them with so much of a an appreciation for the family unit Mm -hmm. and hey this is family blood's thicker than water you take care of your family amen and uh so she instilled that in them and they still man i mean they love being with us and we have some of the greatest times in the world together just that's cool going out and doing things and you know but even like mundane things if if my wife and i are home uh watching a movie or something on television Kids come walking through the room and go, hey, what are you watching? And, and they'll, they'll sit and watch it with you? They'll sit down oh and watch it God. with us. You know, it's very cool. That very never cool. happened. I know. I know. I, I would have never done that. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> What's something you guys are watching today? Anything you and the wife sit back and watch or a program that you kind of enjoy? Oh, man. We've been, uh, gosh, we've been watching so much stuff, man. I just watched The Center. That's what I'm on, season one. The Center? Yeah. I haven't seen it's that. It's like a murder mystery kind of with Jessica Biel. It's good. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we've been watching just, uh, I think we've watched everything that there is, is available on Netflix. Just yeah. Because of the COVID lockdown stuff, you know, everybody's just staying at home. It's going away pretty quick, though. Do you start to feel that a little bit? Yeah, we're starting to see our schedule is starting to open back up mm-hmm. uh, for the next few months. And it can't happen too soon for me, man, because there is something about, <clears throat> from from an artist standpoint, I can tell you that if you love it as much as I do, there is a part of your life that is not complete if you're not able to go out there and do that Mm. at some point. Interesting. Um, And I think from an audience standpoint, 
we have to bring live music back. Yeah, people are ready. They, people uh, need they are it. chomping at the bit, man. I've I've been lucky, uh, luckier than a lot of people. I've had the opportunity to do a few shows here and there in different places, but the people are just so hungry for it because they've been locked up and cooped up too. And there's, as you well know, think about concerts and stuff that you went to when you were young yeah. and as you grew up and just the experiences that you had at some of those places. There is nothing like being in a, in a live audience yeah. and your favorite band or one of your favorite band doing some of your favorite songs and you've got your fist up in the air, or you're playing air guitar out in the audience and the lights are going and, and everybody's drinking. your buddy. Exactly. The whole thing, man. There is something about that that can't be replaced by anything else. Tell me I was that your song? Tell me I was dreaming. Damn, bro. Yeah. That's cool. Is there moments where you like get so far along where you some of you're like, holy shit, I forgot about this. We haven't played this one in a while. Yeah. This one's great. Yeah. That's gotta be pretty we cool. We do that. As a matter of fact, that's one of the hardest things I think about changing the um set list around mm -hmm. from one year to the next. Oh, it's taking some things out. Taking some things out. And then putting new things in. But it's always when you run across a song that's like, man, that was that was that was a great song. And that song meant a lot to a lot of people. It was just my imagination. Exactly. Tell Telling lies. Oh, exactly. God, bro, you're crying on the weight <laughs> bench, bro. I would do I used to listen to like the most sentimental shit in the gym. I would be just and I was doing steroids in high school, so I'm doing steroids just yeah. ball. People are like, is it the steroids? Is it the music? <laughs> What is going on, bro? <laughs> Get it together. Oh, Music man. is a powerful thing. It really is, huh? It it's is. amazing to have something that can almost just be a key. In it. And some days it doesn't do it. A song doesn't do it That's sometimes. Right. That's right. But sometimes you'll have heard it a hundred times. You might even liked it. And then you'll hear it that one time and it just like yeah. fits every little groove. Yeah, man. It's, it's the thing, man. Music is a very, very powerful force. And, uh, it never ceases to amaze me how powerful it is in some people's lives. I've had people, man. Oh, I can that, only imagine. They could write, they come up to me and they say, man, when you wrote that song, you must have been reading my mail because that's exactly what I've been feeling for a long time. And I just didn't know how to put it into words, but you did in a three and a half minute song. You, you said everything I've been wanting to say. That's that's powerful. Do you feel like it's a gift from? Because sometimes I feel like I like to do a lot of words and talk about stuff. And uh, but I, do you feel like it's a gift from God, or do yes. you feel like it's something you've created? No, like you're just like a vessel kind of. I have, I have, and I have no reason in the world to understand why I got that gift. I have no reason in the world to understand why uh, he picked me, but. Thank God he did. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's yeah, you got to accept it. It's been great. Yeah, it's been it's been great because I've I've loved music all my life, and then to have the opportunity to play it and sing it and perform it and write it for a living, a really good living, over all these years and provide for my family with it. Man, that's a, it's the best. It's the best. Doing what you love. Absolutely. I got one last question for you. So I heard a, uh, this is a rumor, and this is just like there's lore out there. There was a, that the song, Here's a Quarter, that you got tired of playing because people would throw quarters on stage. Actually, I didn't get tired of playing it. I got hit by one. No way. <clears throat> when we first started playing that song, 
we were playing small clubs. So even and people would start throwing quarters up on stage. And even if they oh, threw damn, if they threw great. one, it's not gonna hurt anybody. Right. But when we when we start playing theaters and you're <laughs> you're third third row balcony to throw a quarter hard Who enough would do that. People that are crazy as hell, man. So we started getting pelted. I would look down <laughs> and Sorry to would, laugh, man. It's just crazy to think oh, no. some guy in the third row like, man, I think Travis needs this for yeah, the song. He he's just At least I didn't have Leonard Skinner's problem. Leonard Skinner had a song way back in the 70s called Give Me Back My Bullets. Oh, and people dang. would throw live ammunition on stage. <laughs> oh, man. But this guy, I was on stage one night in, uh, uh, in Knox. I think it was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I got hit. Somebody oh. threw one from third row balcony. <laughs> and it hit me right here. And I thought I'd been shot. Damn. It was just one of those things where it's like, whoa. And you kind of lose it for a second. And then I look down and there's blood just streaming. I got hit right above my right eye. Damn. And it's just gushing blood. So I grab a towel and I'm trying to stop it and I couldn't stop the bleeding. So bottom line is it stopped the show. It ended Damn. the show. So we had to start making an announcement to people. It's like, look, you know, <laughs> if you start throwing quarters and somebody gets hurt on stage, you're actually cheating yourself because it's going to put an end to the show right then. Yeah. And, uh, and it raises your ticket price by a damn quarter. <laughs> You know, kind of. But thankfully, with Venmo now, a lot of people didn't have quarters on them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'd be, if I even see a quarter, I'd be shocked sometimes. <laughs> I uh, got... Uh, wow, that's wild. I got Larry the Cable Guy a couple of years ago mm -hmm. to do a, a intro for me. And it's like, hey, y'all, it's Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, because of the danger involved, <laughs> please do not throw quarters or any other hard objects at the performers during the program. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to come over to your house, sh shove a milk bone down your throat, stick a hungry dog up your hind end. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, did you ever uh, meet Jerry Clower no, or even get to see I him? Did. He was probably a kid. You got to meet him. I got to meet no him. No way. In the early days of my career, uh, there was a show on uh, the Nashville Network, which was later became CMT. Mm-hmm. There was a show called, um, uh, it was Ralph Emery that hosted it, and uh, it was Nashville Now. And I went on that show one night, and Jerry Clower was one of the other guests. And I got to meet him, and he was everything I hoped he would be, man. Just what, what a great guy. And I grew up probably the same way you did, listening to all those records that he did. You oh, know, yeah. About Knock them out, John. Marcel Ledbetter. Yeah. And uh, and the chainsaw, yeah, and, you yeah, know something. Yeah, Marcel Ludell. Here we go. <laughs> you name all of them. It's great, man. Man, I loved him. But he was, was he um, and was he was he a big was he a big known star when you were young? Kind of when you were oh, yeah. you, to your parents. I'm sure your parents loved him, huh? Yeah, my parents. My dad. That's back in the days of eight track tape, and my dad had. Four or five Jerry Clower eight-track tapes that he would listen to, you know, from time to time. Of course, a bunch of country stuff thrown in there, too. 
But yeah, and then he was on television almost every weekend. Oh wow! Uh, uh, he had a show that he hosted. I can't remember what network it was on, but he hosted every week with uh, Jim Ed Brown, hmm. and he was just man, he was great. And of course, you'd see him on Hee Haw from time to time too. Yeah, yeah, I've been watching a lot of Hee Haw, inter- just some uh, replays of it and stuff. Yeah, it's really fascinating what they did with that show. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, did uh, yeah, I thought about trying to even do a documentary about him, like trying to put it together and fund mm-hmm. it and everything, you know, just yeah. before because I know his wife is still alive. So before like some of that disappears, you know, just yeah. trying to find a way to memorialize some of it. There's a lot of that that I think needs to be. That's one of the biggest reasons why I like to recall and recollect. I'm going to write a book at some point. I I did one a few years ago, but. I want to write another one and just tell all of the stories that I've experienced and, and heard about throughout the years about all of my heroes, the people that came before me, Waylon Jennings, Charlie Daniels, oh, yeah. Willie Nelson. Uh, bet, man. you, you got to have those things because they'll go away even, you know. Exactly. They'll if, go away. If you don't tell them, they do go away. Yeah. And there's nobody else that knows those stories but me. Amen, and man. And them. And them, yeah. yeah. And the Lord, baby. <laughs> well, we got to hold on to what we can. Anything else, uh, Sean? You feel good? Uh, Travis, man, thank you so much for being here with us today, thank man. Thank you so this much is for an having honor, me, man. Theo. And I thank you for, for uh, yeah, I think keeping nostalgia and just keeping my feelings alive throughout my life. I think that's something that you and a lot of entertainers of, uh, of your ilk have done, man. And well, thank you. It's a real value to be able to, it's just someone who kind of is running like a, it's almost like you're just running this stitch every now and then through time that kind of holds people just close enough to the world that they're in that makes them feel a part of something, you know. Well, I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate the fact that uh, you were able to recognize something in some of the music that I did that, that touched your heart, and that's good. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, the one uh, about the uh, – what was it in the spell? Man, I used to – I couldn't even spell, and I was singing it all the time. T-R-O-U-B-L-E? Oh, no, no, no. That one. <laughs> you made that one easy for me. But no, it was, uh, I'm going to be somebody. Oh, yeah, I remember, man. dude, I remember being in spelling class. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to hear that song. I'm going to be somebody someday. And I'd be like, I'm going to, going to be somebody, baby. I would, dude, I was getting the F in spelling, bro. But in fucking the hope in my heart, dog, I had an A+. Plus, there you go, man. Amen. Travis Tritt, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Theo. Daddies were daddies and mamas were saints What preachers were preaching you could take to the bank Kids played outside up until it turned dark When the world turned slow and you could smoke in a bar Trucks took a beating Working man too You could turn on Six o'clock And get the whole truth A seatbelt was A backup for mama's Right arm When the world turned slow And you could smoke in A bar Ladies and gentlemen I'm Jonathan Kite and welcome to Kite Club a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. 
The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long. Longer than anybody else. So great. Hi, sweetheart. Here's a deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Jermaine. Hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. Sorry, sir, but our ice cream machine is broken. I think Tom Hanks just butt-dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule, like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.